Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour podcast. Three women, one podcast and a whole load of badass with me, Harriet Minter, and this week, Amanda Prowse and Scarlett Douglas. Um, we're talking to Aniola Aluko, the lioness footballer who told the FA there was racism in British football. We find out what's happened to her since and the lessons she's learned. Plus, we meet football's first transgender referee. Yeah, it's a football special this week on Badass Women's Hour. And no, none of us know anything about football. Underwear, armpit hair, many imitators, but no one compares. Badass Women's Hour XL with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. One, two, three, four! We are talking to Eniola Aluku, the former lioness, footballer, all-round incredible woman about her new book, They Don't Teach This. Uh, the book is all about her biography and exploring the themes of dual nationality, so what it means for her to... Um, kind of what she's learnt growing up in the UK. <laughs> Eniola, hello. Welcome Hi. to Badass Women's Hour. Thank you for having me. Uh, tell us a little bit about... Well, tell so, us actually, by the way, it's the coolest studio I've ever seen. It's nice, Thank isn't it? It's like it's futuristic. Nice, isn't it? We decorated it ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> it's very new and shiny, so we're still quite proud of it. The yeah, old one looked like be. a teenage boy's bedroom, so this is a big improvement. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, tell us a little bit about your career to date. So um, I'm a professional footballer, um, professional women's footballer, and have been for... Um, coming up to 10 years now. I play for Juventus, oh formerly gosh. played for Chelsea. Um, 102 caps for England. Oh, my word. And, wow. um, just casually shrugged. Yeah, no, just, like, yeah. just, just, just 102. <laughs> you feel like an underachiever. Um, and, um, yeah, I also do... I also have a career in the media and um, had a legal career as well. Before, yeah, I was balancing sort of a legal career and a football career um, for quite a long time before women's football went fully professional. So I've packed a lot in. I've packed a lot into th my 32 years, which I think is still quite young. And people keep telling me it's it's quite young to write. You know, it's a young age to write an autobiography, but I guess it's about life as opposed to age, right? Mm. Well, definitely. In the, I was reading all the notes about your book and there's something that really interested me, which is you said you came to the UK from Nigeria at the mm. age of one. And yes. you grew up your whole life in the UK as you saw a British person Hey, and it was only when you went to play for England right. that you realised, hang on, yeah. this is not what it is. So I wasn't, I wasn't officially British on paper, but mm. I was in my heart. Culture. I was, you know, culturally. I, I, I mean, I'm from Birmingham. I, that's all I knew growing up, sort of playing 
in the estate um, with all the boys and was very much accepted doing that and very had, had, had a very happy childhood. But when I got the call up for England, which was like the best day of my life, and my mum framed the letter and laminated it and put it on the oh. fridge, it was like the biggest thing ever for all, for all of us. And um, I just remember thinking, oh, you know, once again, I'm the odd one out. You know, I can't, we can't, I can't, keep, I can't seem to get it right. Um, so didn't have a British passport because we never really had to, you know, we mm-hmm. just, it, there was no cause to have a British passport at the time. But then it really brought it into focus for me, my identity. Because then I was like, okay, well, what am I then? Because I'd never, I'd, I'd never really been to Nigeria. Yep. Um, so wasn't necessarily kind of in my head, at least. My name sounds Nigerian, but didn't feel Nigerian. And didn't have the stamp of approval to be British either. So it was a real kind of um, a tug, internal tug, that right in the book, what's been fascinating is that I've been able to look back on myself and kind of understand who I was. What did um, you learn about yourself writing it? Um, a lot, a lot. Um, and actually, I'd love that to be the experience for readers, actually, to kind of self-reflect themselves, because I think it's really powerful and just allow yourself to be vulnerable. Um, I learned that as a young girl, I, I was so desperate to be accepted. Like, it just, for me, it was like the only thing I wanted. So much so I told yeah. the boys when I was growing up to call me Eddie. Um, oh. Obviously, my name's Eni, Eni yeah. Ola, but short is Eni. But I told the boys, just call me Eddie. Because I just wanted to be one of the boys, which you look back and it's a bit, that's a bit much. Um, But uh, I I think it's interesting because as a kid, I was so desperate to be accepted. And now as an adult, um, as a sort of black woman, I I don't care whether I'm accepted or not. I'm kind of very okay in my own skin and um, kind of unapologetic about who I am now. But it's taken a really long time and it's taken certain things to happen to me that that's sort of brought that out of me so it's it's kind of interesting who that kid was and you know and sometimes it still happens where you feel like oh why don't you know why don't they like me Mm. but um what were some of the things that helped you shift that mentality because i think for our listeners lots of people will have had that where they want to fit in they want to be liked they want it what are some of the things that have helped you go do you know what it just doesn't matter that's not the important thing the important thing is being true to who i am I think there's there's always situations, particularly when you're successful, a successful person, you will have haters, right? Mm-hmm. You will have people that just don't like you. You will have people that are jealous. Mm-hmm. You will have people that always try and say, well, yeah, she did well, but mm-hmm. there's always a but, you know? And sometimes that can really get to you if you're, if you're always looking for their approval, but you're already successful, so you don't need their approval. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the time, you know... And it was actually my mom that triggered this in me. She was like, listen, you don't need the approval of other people. You're already approved. Mm. And, you know, she said, you have to be able to tell yourself first that you're good enough. And then that radiates with other people. And so what people do and, and project onto you won't affect you. And it's kind of hard because naturally as humans, we want people to like us. But actually it's powerful to be able to say, I don't, you know, I don't need someone to like me or someone to approve me or someone to say oh you, you know you're successful um so that's been a journey as well but something I'm really happy about now that I can really kind of self-validate and self-validation is a big lesson for me in the book and something I really really want young girls to kind of take hold of and I think that's very important as well you know you're saying that you're 32 now it's too young to write an autobiography but 
I always worried about getting older and then like, oh, I'm going to be 30 and yeah. I'm 32 as well. And I'm, okay. I'm like, I enjoy my 30s because yes. I genuinely don't care what people right. think. But you're right, there, are, there probably are moments where you're like, oh, I hope this guy likes me. Right. But ultimately, I'm comfortable in my skin and, you know, this is who I am. If you don't like it, it's fine. It's I don't need problem. to have yeah. lots of people around me that like me. I need my core, I need my family yes. um, that love me, my really close friends, and that's enough. And that's, that's great for me to feel accepted and feel like what I'm doing is enough. Well, a lot of the time as well, one thing I've also learned is just the psychology of people. And a lot of the time, people are projecting their own insecurities mm, onto oh, you. Absolutely, definitely. So, you know, as much as you're trying to, you know, feel self-validated, other people are trying to feel self-validated too mm. and project onto you their insecurities. And, you know, I think the quicker we realise that, the quicker we'll just be able to dismiss some of the things that actually affect us. Um... So it's been amazing, kind of, this process of writing the book. It's been like counselling and therapy, you know, with the with the writer, Josie LeBlonde, who, you know, got my voice down to a T. And uh, we had a really good relationship in terms of really driving home. You know, it's bigger than football. I think I've read a lot of sort of football autobiographies that are, are quite predictable. Yeah. I wanted to talk about the real life of, you know, of a female women's footballer, what that means and how that feels and all the things that I think other women will be able to re relate to, especially young women. You know, it's really... I have two young sisters, you know, 19 and 18, and they're at their real formative time in their in their life now. And, you know, they have some of these, you know, um, challenges where they're like, well, you know, they don't know how important it is to kind of look at themselves in the mirror and say, well, I'm good enough, actually. Yeah. Um, I think also in, in this society where everything, particularly when you're young, can feel like a race. You yeah. know, everything's a competition. You've got to yeah. be winning, beating mm. the best. I think it's a really important message that you're giving, which basically mm. is the message that your mum gave you. Yes. That you're good enough. And not everyone has a mum like that. Right. And if that message gets out to girls, and boys actually, but girls who can... It, You've no idea the power of that, what it can do to them for their future. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, the book... Um, I mean, I called the book They Don't Teach This because there's so many things in life that, like, you know, I went to school, I went to university, and I'm kind of known for that reason. I'm kind of known as the sort of educated footballer. But no one could teach me some of the things that, you know, the hard mm. lessons, the sort of intricate lessons, life lessons that I've learned. Um... And I know that's the experience of other people too. Um, and as you say, you know, it is a big sort of rat race. But I think particularly for, for, for young people, boys and girls, it's also about recognising that there's going to be pitfalls, like it's inevitable. I think now sometimes, I mean, I grew up in the 90s and it was kind of before phones. And, you know, so I still remember what it was like to sort of go out and play out with the boys and, you know, not have to sort of rely on my phone. So I still remember that. But now I think there's just a kind of immediate culture where it has to happen now. Mm. I don't I, I don't want to go through the process of failing. It has to happen now. And that's not reality. You know, and as an athlete, you know, I realise that failure is sometimes one of the best things that can happen to you. Certainly was in my career. So again, another thing I really want to pass on, another life lesson I really want to pass on through the book is... Be ready for failure and don't don't let it kill you and, and, and cripple you. Use it, like use it as your energy to get better for the next time. We're going to keep talking to Annie here on Badass Women Zara, particularly about some of the kind of incredible experiences she's had, the first female pundit and match of the day and so many other things. Uh, so we are going to keep talking to her after this break.
Badass Women's Hour XL on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. Welcome back to Badass Women's Hour XL. We are talking to footballer, UN Women UK ambassador, media personality, Eniola Aluko. Thank you so much for joining us in the Thank studio. You. Um, and you were the first female pundit on Match of the Day, is that correct? That is correct, yes. What, female footballer pundit. Female footballer yes. pundit. What was the response to that like? Oh, it was amazing. It was really amazing. And I was really, I mean... When you're the first to do something, you're really putting your neck out there because, you know, you, you I had to expect people were going to be like, well, what on earth is going on? Why is she on the TV? But then there's risk and reward, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, if you do well, then it's like you open the door for the next woman and the next woman. So I recognised at that point I was kind of in a really um, good opportunity to, to change something. And my technique with punditry is just be really prepared and I think a lot of women can relate to the fact that you know if you're a woman in a man's kind of dominated world you 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 have to be two times better yeah like that's just the reality um so I knew that okay if I'm going on match of the day I need to know inside out every player every play you know every opinion um and so it was a really good experience for me because I think once I did that I knew I could do it, um, so I needed to do that. You're really... You said there about kind of putting your neck on the line, like you will just... You'll go for it. And in 2016, you really did because you pursued allegations of racism against the former Lionesses manager, Mark Sampson, and because that subsequently kind of exposed a whole culture around that within yeah. you know, English female football. What gives you the bravery to be able to do things like that? Um... That's a really good question because I think, um, I, I, you know, in that situation, I didn't set out to necessarily become the person I became, yeah. right? It just kind of met me at the doorstep and then it was a choice, immediate choice. But I think when you're making that choice, you then consider, okay, what am I going to lose in doing this? And I think that's where I'm different because for me, even if it costs me my England career, which it did, I was like, it's it's okay. I'm okay with that. If it means me standing in my truth and rectifying, you know, the the, the chaos that was going on in the media, mm -hmm. I think a lot of other people might have said, mm, I can't do that. I've got to pay my mortgage. I've got to do this. I've got to do... And that's fine. I completely understand that. But maybe that's courage, you know? It's not really, like waking up and being like, I'm going to be courageous today. It's about when, you, when you're faced with a situation where you have to make a choice, it's making the most difficult one. And I think that's where, you know, when I look at other players, they don't necessarily do those things because they just want to play and they just want to get picks. And um, it, It's not easy. I mean, I wanted to keep playing too, but I think I was ready to, to for it to cost me something. And it did. And... Were you aware of the, I guess, the impact that it would have for other black women coming up behind you? Was that mm. something you were thinking about? You were like, if I just sit here and take the easy option, then... Yeah, well, because it was a sort of race issue, mm. um, certainly that was certainly obviously um, a consideration in terms of, well, if this is happening to me and other players, by the way, yeah. then, um, you know, it can't happen again. But I don't even think it's a black... Um, female thing I think it's a female thing mm -hmm. you know I think for the longest time 
as female footballers, we've accepted lower standards than sh- that than should be because it's gotten you know a lot of people have gotten away with it. Um, and now you see around the world, you see the U.S. women's team fighting for equal pay, not just for themselves but for loads of women around yeah. the world. Mm. You see, um, you know, the Australian team calling out a culture of fear, New Zealand. So it's become something that women are like, we're not accepting this anymore. Um, So I think I'm glad to see that because I think for a long time we just played and we got on with it and we're happy to be there. But ultimately you get to a point where it's like, no, this isn't actually acceptable. We need to be respected as professional athletes like everybody else. I know there's quite a lot in the book about this as well, in this story, but kind of moving away from that, what would you say was your favourite part of the book? What's the part that Um, really makes you smile? Your whole face lit up there, so there must be a certain point. Um, So the chapter Embrace the Hyphen um, is one of my favourites because I think, you know, as as I mentioned earlier, it's the idea that you have so many different dimensions to your personality and we live in a world that's kind of trying to box us all the time and you're that or you're that. Um, you can't be both and it's them and us. And um, So that chapter was super empowering to, to, to write because, you know, being a British Nigerian, people have always asked me to choose. Um, and, you know, growing up, I kind of fell on the British side and then later when I got to uni, I, I really embraced my Nigerian side and now I'm a combination of both. But it's not just that in terms of identity, it's also career. You know, it's also saying you can be a footballer and a lawyer and a pundit and a mom and whatever you may be. And, and so I think it's a really positive, empowering chapter that I hope other people will go, well, I'm six different things too, particularly women. You know, as women, we're amazing. Like, we do so many different things. But sometimes we don't give ourselves credit for it. So that's that was my... And even like in the in the last sort of week, as people have been getting the book and buying the book, I've seen people like messaging saying, "Oh, I'm you know I'm half I don't know half British, half Indian, and you know grew up in somewhere else, and I really related to that chapter where you said this." And I'm like, "Yes, that's what you know. That's what that's what I wanted mm. to people for people to be able to kind of relate it back to themselves and understand that." it's okay to be many different things in one um and i think the other one is the chapter truth doesn't panic which is about you know the fa case and the idea that you know when you're standing in your truth you don't have to necessarily um pander to the noise um i made a lot of mistakes during that case you know i was fighting and I was searching myself on on Twitter because the thing is about yeah. Twitter mm-hmm. when people are being mean to you they don't at you no. right mm. so I was waking up in the morning putting my name in and trying to find people that were saying horrible things about me and then I'd write them back and I'd be like how dare you and it will fill the fire again it would just yeah. fan it and fan it and fan it and and so it's about saying you know sometimes it's just about being silent and waiting and knowing that okay when it's my time to speak People understand what's going on here. So truth doesn't panic, I think, is a beautiful way of talking about saying it and sort of encapsulating it. Um, But I love all the book. I love all the book. (laughs) I like it all. There's a lot of... You're an incredibly wise woman. Mm. Just listening to you, I'm just like... (gasps) 
I mean, I, I, we were just saying in the break that we wanted you to do an audio book because you've got a beautiful voice, but also so you could just have it there all the time. I think I'm just at the end of, you know, I'm at the end of the process of, of, of the book, obviously, yeah. and I really understand it. And even talking about it this week has really, you know, I'm just in a place where I really understand the book and understand what I want to get out of it. Um, you know, I have my silly, flippant moments, <laughs> definitely, but... Um, I'm really, really, really set on kind of the lessons in the book and what I've learned and hopefully passing that on to other people. What do you want to do next? What's next for you? Well, I'm still pl- um, playing for Juventus, so I'm still yeah. living in Italy. I fly back on Monday. Um, so I'm back and forth from Italy and London. Uh, we've got the season starting in two weeks. Um, so that's, you know, that's kind of obviously my day job. Um other than that, just doing more with the book and, you know, creative ways of... I had an, a book launch on Thursday, which was amazing. I had it at Bonham's Art Gallery and uh, it was like a visual exhibition of sort of chapters in the book and pictures How in wonderful. the book. wonderful. And um, we had cupcakes that had sort of... The cupcakes were named after chapters in the book and cocktails were named after chapters in the book. Oh. And it was just amazing to see people really engaging with, you know, just creative ways of talking about the book. So I want to do more of that. Um, with cupcakes, I'm definitely in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah in they there. were they were they were great. <laughs> um, and then just yeah, in future, I think you know everyone always asks me if I want to be a coach, and I don't think I don't think I I want to do that. But certainly working on the sort of management side of football as a sporting director or um, you know something like that. So there's a lot to look forward to. I think once I finish playing. Well, we are very much looking forward to seeing Thank what you. you do next. Amazing. Thank um, you so much. The book is out now. It's called They Don't Teach This. Anya Luca, thank you so much thank for joining for us. Thank you for having me. It's been lovely chatting thank to you. The Vampire Strikes Back. Badass Women's Hour Excel on Talk Radio. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Now, being a referee on the football pitch, your job is to make sure that people are noticing you and paying attention and doing what they t- what you tell them to. But our next guest spent 30 years trying to not be noticed, to uh, hide a secret that she then 
started to share with us. Lucy Clark, thank you so much for joining us here on Badass Women's Hour. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. Tell us, um, you're the UK's first transgender referee. Tell us a little bit about the moment when... Well, tell us about life before you transitioned. You were a ref. So, yeah, I had two separate lives, really. So I had uh, my life where I was me and then the life that I sort of portrayed to other people um, where I was obviously, you know... Being an actor, I suppose, <laughs> you know, uh, being somebody that I wasn't, but obviously what everyone knew, you know, the person that the people know. So, so yeah, it was it was hard, um, yeah. but it was yeah, especially like when you, when you're younger and stuff, you you kind of you've got to be that person because you're not allowed to be yourself. Yeah. Uh, so, so and yeah. You were married with kids. Yeah, still am. Still yeah. am. <laughs> <laughs> and. What was the moment when you just realised this is not not going to work anymore? I have to be who I am. So I, I kind of I delayed it really for everyone else rather than myself because mm-hmm. I'd have done it years ago. But I always thought the the impact it would have have on other people. Um, so that kind of stopped me and delayed me. And then football, even though it saved my life when I was younger um, because it gave me something to to really focus on and trying to forget about my issues. It kind of held me back later uh, in a funny sort of way because I didn't want to give up football because I love football so much. But I kind of thought that if I'm going to be who I am, I would have to give up football. Um, And to be honest, it was that was the plan that I was going to give up football. I was going to give up refereeing um, so I could, you know, just live my life. And uh, because you thought the world of sport would be unforgiving and maybe a bit or. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, I just thought. You know, a, a transgender referee. They'd yeah. they'd never they'd not been one in the world that, that I had anyone to sort of go. You know, mm-hmm. um, look at how it went for them. So it was kind of, yeah. I was the plan was I'd give up football and then I can just concentrate on sort of living my life. Um, I actually had a, I got ill and I had a few heart attacks. Oh, <laughs> God, <laughs> as you do, and and kind of that was in what was going to be my last season. I'd actually told somebody at the league that I was going to be giving up refereeing uh, again, you know, reluctantly because I didn't want to. Um, but when I was in hospital, I kind of thought, hey, do you know what? You get one life, and mm. I I love football and I love refereeing. So yeah, why should I give it up just because mm-hmm. I'm transgender? So at that point, I kind of thought, no, do you know what? I am going to co- going to continue, and <laughs> we'll just see what happens and see where it takes us. And um, how long have you been refereeing for before then? So gosh, uh, well, I used to be a player and a manager. Okay. Um, but actively just pure refereeing about fifteen years. So right. obviously, wow. lots of clubs, lots of players, yeah. lots of fellow fellow officials, all knew the old person. Yeah, so quite a big career to give up at one point. If you're thinking, you know, I don't know if I can do this moving forward. 15 years. Yeah, I, it, football's my life. I'm mm. also a referee secretary and, you know, as I say, football football saved me when I was younger. So I've always been really heavily involved with it. So it would have been like losing my left leg, mm. you know, probably on my right one too, if, I'd, yeah. if I had given up refereeing. Mm. Uh, but thankfully, I decided not to and it's been amazing. <laughs> so what was it like when... You were transitioning and your friends and family knew, but kind of outside of that, no one else did. What was it like that moment where you were like, okay, this is now the public face as well? It was madness. It was, <laughs> it was to be fair, the uh, the support that I got from, from friends, and some of them have been friends for a, a very long time. A lot, yeah. a lot of people were shocked, um, and I get that. I was, I 
played the guy quite well, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, people were amazing, and the whole football community have been amazing, and friends and family have all been amazing. It's you know the support, the support that I got was just totally overwhelming. It was just. I suppose also yeah. because you have such a strong marriage, and you know we've read your and Avril's story, and she just sounds like an amazing woman too. Mm. I suppose if really the people you love and care about are supporting you and you've got that, I always say the real world is what happens behind your front door. Yep. So actually, as long as you've got that going on, I suppose that must give you the strength to go and face anything else, does it? Oh, Avril from day one was like, don't give up football, don't give up football, don't give it up. Amazing, and she, she was always saying to me, don't give it up because, mm. you know, you shouldn't have to just because of who you are. Mm. Um, so, yeah, the support from, you know, the family, the immediate family and has, has always been there. And, and they've sort of helped and, and joined us on the journey, if you like. Mm. Oh. Um, you said you were sort of your first time refing as a transgender woman. You were feeling, what if you know? Tell us what were the what were the worries and concerns you had? So look, I it, I was worried about um, the reaction from the players, yeah, uh, the reaction from the fans, uh, the supporters, and people that have come to the game. Because as a referee, you're going to get abuse and shouted yeah. at, whatever. Um, Only when you get it wrong. believe it or not sometimes when you get it right (laughs) because it might be wrong for one but it will be right for the other Um, so yeah I was just concerned about how everyone would react and especially you know the clubs that I'd been seeing for years and they knew this other person um, just how they'd react so so it was kind of and, and you're putting yourself in that situation where people might you know how would I react to somebody that's, yeah. that's that if they're giving me this this abuse that I'd had in my head that I was kind of expecting that, that would possibly happen? You know, how would I react? I, the last thing you'd want to see a referee do is have a, like a meltdown on the football <laughs> pitch. Um, so I had I had them kind of concerns, and that's what sort of uh, you know put, put me. I didn't know what yeah. what to expect, but I was, I, I was expecting it, it the worst. It can be a bit of a brutal arena, can't it? A football a football mm. pitch. I suppose it, you know. I think it's yeah. You don't know what you're going to get. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and you know, there will be one half of the the team that that you'll make a decision that's totally correct, but they're not going to like it. You know, mm. especially if it's a decision that's gone against them. So, and the easiest person to pick on is the referee. Mm. Um, what was it like in reality? Oh. I, once I went out there, everyone was great when I sort of, you arrive at the ground and go yeah. through the, the pre-match stuff and, and everyone couldn't have been nicer. It was like nothing had changed. Um, you know, they got, was getting the name right and the pronouns right and it was, that was just amazing. And then you go out onto the pitch and the players were great. And I, once I blew the first whistle, it was just like I was a football referee again. So, you know, it didn't matter who I was, I was just the referee. And, you know, they treated me just the same as they had done before. They, I didn't get any special, you know, oh, we won't, we, we won't shout at her. Um, you, know, uh, you know, they still shouted and would still moan about decisions, but, but nothing changed. You know, you blow the whistle and you was just the referee again. So that was just amazing. So do you think that football's come a long way? Would you say? Do you think if it was like this maybe a few years ago, quite a few years ago, it would be different, the response would be different? Because we're looking at football nowadays and, for example, racism is still rife and we're still trying to fight this issue uh, and people kind of trying to hide behind closed doors and say it's not there, but we know that there are certain campaigns that are there for racism. Do you think that football is moving forward in certain directions or do you think we're kind of taking a while to, to change certain stigmas? Yeah, I think I think you've got the... the there's a minority out there that will... Um, still cause issues at, at football matches uh, and 
you know, there are organisations out there like Kick It Out and uh, Just a Ball Game that are doing absolutely fabulous work. I'd like to think there'll come a time that we don't need these organisations because mm. there's no work for them, and that would be amazing. Uh, the thing is now, people and, and other supporters are not standing for that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there'll be people that will, will say something that's, that they shouldn't say at a football match, and other supporters will put this person in their place. And rather mm. than probably 20, 30 years ago where everyone would join in, mm. now people are sort of saying, no, that's, you know, that's not acceptable. So... Slowly, it is getting better. It is still there, um, but we've got great work from the organisations that you know that we've mentioned, and and a lot of you know many others like you've got football, the homophobia, um, they're fabulous, and you know they're trying to eradicate this and, and educate people, and it, we're getting there slowly. But it, it is unfortunately it is still there. Mm, slowly but surely, that's yeah. the main thing, isn't it? Do you think there is a level of sexism amongst refereeing? So I've seen sometimes when we've seen female referees at very high levels, they've been getting significantly more abuse or very targeted abuse, you know, very uh, very sexist abuse. Do you think that's a level of we don't want women refing at high levels? Yeah, I think we, we just had a, a an all-female team in the... Um, yeah. European Super Cup, which was amazing, and they had a great game, which was fabulous for for women officials, female officials. Um, I think I think it's again because it's not they're not seeing female officials all the yeah. time. When it's all you know, when they sort of say it's just an easy target, isn't it? To to you know, oh well, let's pick on the ref, and the ref's a female, so yeah, she's no good because yeah. she's 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 a woman. But we've got, like, um, Shah Massey, who's an amazing official and, you know, on the Premier League um, and on the FIFA list, and she is brilliant. And people are like, you know, she's she's one of the best in the country, um, if not Europe, if not the world. She, she's a, a fabulous official and she's people are, lo are looking up to her and sort of going, well, actually, you know, she is a great official. Um, and the, the ones that done the European Super Cup, they had a great game. So, yeah. again, that's really, really good and, and really positive. I suppose it's that visibility, isn't it? Which again, what you're mm. doing, you, you know, it's your visibility which will help other transgender people coming through, mm. and hopefully just make it, you know, less of a debate because it shouldn't be. It should just be how it is. And I think that's uh, just you doing that is amazing. No, exactly. Have you had feedback from the transgender community about what, you know refereeing and being in that environment? Yeah. So, so when my story broke, I did, I did get quite a lot of messages, sort of saying, you know, it's really good what you've done, and you kind of inspired me. Now I'm going to go into work on Monday and have a chat with the HR and sort of say, look, this is me, you know, because they've been hiding themselves. I'm also very actively involved with the community, so, you know, I, I run a radio station. Tra I saw that. Trans Radio, <laughs> give it a little plug, um, which is great, you know, it's for the transgender Not community. Not till the show's finished, but... Oh, no, of course, yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, totally, yeah, totally, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but it's, it's a station for the transgender community, mm. uh, made by the transgender community, so, so that sort of, you know giving them something else as well. Um, you met my mate, Kelly. Kelly? And she lovely, Kelly Maloney. Oh, yeah, yeah no, I'm, I'm lovely, really, really good friends with she's Kelly. She's yeah. too, yeah. She's brilliant, yeah, she's love amazing. her to bits. Yeah, yeah she she's is. fab. Mm. And and she's helped. She she actually... Um, <laughs> it was <laughs> the, the day I told the FA that I'm going to continue refereeing, I'd actually got a phone call that evening from Kelly. And I'll never forget, I was just in the kitchen and we were just chatting... And she's like, oh, so what have you been up to today? And I was like, oh, yeah, no, you know, I told the FA that I'm going to continue refereeing. 
And Kelly's come back, oh, well, you know, that'll make the papers. And I was like, well, funny you should say that because that's what they said. But And then Kelly sort of went, look, leave it to me. I'll sort X, Y and Z out. And, yeah, she really helped me. And, and yeah, she was amazing. She's, she's an amazing she's person. Funny. Yeah, she's Very brilliant. funny, actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So as well as refereeing, you're also in a new film, Fanatical. Well, yes, I am. It's exciting. <laughs> Tell us about it. Um well, the, the premiere's on Thursday evening and there's still tickets available, so if anyone wants to come, there's VIP tickets, come down and walk the red carpet. Um, I'm definitely doing that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a I great one frock, but I'm doing it. Yeah. <laughs> it's three events in one, so, so it's going to be a, an amazing evening. The film, the film itself is uh, it's about football. Um, Dan O'Reilly is not a football fan and it's kind of sort of saying... For his, from his point of view, can you be a man and a, a geezer and and not like football? Um, so he goes on a journey to see if he can actually, you know, like football because he doesn't. Um, so he meets lots of different people within the football world, and obviously myself being a referee, he had to meet a referee. So so yeah, I met I met up with uh, with Dan and had a great time filming and. Uh, and trying to educate him into liking football because it's a great sport. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting because you said right at the beginning of this interview, you said you know, football kind of saved your life when mm-hmm. you were younger. Do you think that there is a culture amongst young men that is sort of be part of the football culture or be on the outside? Yeah, I mean, for, for me, yeah, I, yeah. you know, um, I couldn't go and do other stuff that I probably yeah. wanted to do. Uh, so it was, you know, football was, yeah, you, you're, you know, you're, you're a guy and you're one of the lads if you play football <laughs> and if you like football. So for, for me, it was, I didn't want to do the other yeah. things like soldiers or fighting or whatever, <laughs> but football was something that I was reasonably good at. So it was like, mm-hmm. do you know what, I kind of fit in there. That's the kind of box where I can be, you yeah. know, this other person. I know I'm not inside and obviously we're, we're going back to sort of the, the 80s here and I didn't have the internet to sort of you know, yeah. find out what, what was going on in my head. I thought I was the only person <laughs> in the world. Mm-hmm. So but so football was something that I could do yeah. with all the other lads. Um, and it, as I say, something I enjoyed, I enjoyed doing and I was good at. So that's kind of, for 24 hours a day, I, I, I'd have, you know, football <laughs> on the brain. What are your ambitions now? What's next for you? What, as a referee? Mm. Um, just another movie. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hollywood, honey. <laughs> Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, football just to, to keep enjoying it and uh, yeah, just keep 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 doing it because yeah. football's a, a fabulous sport and all the time that I can still move around the football pitch, I want to be involved with the game um, as I can. Personally, just keep being myself, keep enjoying finally being me, yeah. um, and hopefully you know keep inspiring and helping other people because I'm quite happy to talk to anyone that's in the the transgender community at whatever stage you know. Um, Helping them and, and advising them because it is it is hard. It's not easy being being a transgender person, and obviously I've I've lived it, so I I, I, I get that. But I'm kind of now at, at the other end, and and for me, life's fabulous. So um, yeah, just just so to pleased. keep it, keep enjoying life and keep smiling and. Yeah, that's Keep it, going. really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lucy, thank you so much for coming in and joining us. It's been lovely talking to you, Lucy Clark. Um, amazing, amazing story. We've loved having you on Badass Women's Hour. Thank you so much. One, two, three, four. This has been the Badass Women's Hour podcast with me, Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell, and Emma Sexton. 
If you want to hear more from us, you can come follow us on social media at Badass Women's Hour HR um, or leave us a review and tell us how much you love us. We really need to feel the love. Five stars should do it. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.